0: The following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. On average, there are 463,634 victims aged 12 or older of rape and sexual assault each year in the United States. Ages 12 to 34 are the highest risk years for rape and sexual assault. That's every 68 seconds an American is sexually assaulted. And one out of every six American women has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. On June 22nd, 2012, a young couple went to a local park at night while out on a date. A man ambushed them and took them below an overlook, forcing them to duct tape their eyes and mouths. He sexually assaulted one of the women before shooting them both in the head and leaving them for dead. A nationwide media frenzy ensued, with many believing it to be a targeted homophobic hate crime. By nothing short of a miracle, one woman managed to survive this vicious attack and was able to help bring justice to her girlfriend and herself. This is the story of Molly Olgan and Christine Chapa. Molly Judith Olgan was born on May 12, 1993 to parents Mario and Meryl Olgan. She had two sisters. Megan, and Madison, and the family grew up in or near Portland, Texas. I say this a lot, but again, I did have some difficulty finding information about Molly's childhood and her life. Her father's Facebook page had listed his residence as Ingleside, Texas, which is only about a 10-minute drive from Portland, so I assume that that's where Molly and her family lived and likely grew up. Molly had just completed her first year of studies in college and was studying psychology. She was a people person, loved her family and friends, and was always spreading love and joy to those around her, ensuring no one ever left her presence without getting a big hug and being told she loved them. She loved giving gifts and spoiled those around her as often as she could. There are photos of her playing a drum in her school band with a comment about how talented she was in many percussion instruments and another showing her playing on a soccer team. There are many posts about her, but the sentiment always remains the same. She is greatly missed and she had a large impact on those that loved her, even in her short 19 years. Mary Christine Chapa, who goes by Christine or Chris, was 18 years old at the time of the attack and grew up in a loving and supportive household. Her mother, Grace, and her father, Larry, did not know about their daughter's sexuality prior to the attack, but her mother says that she wishes she could have met Molly and had gotten to know her daughter's girlfriend. Molly and Christine were lesbians and were out on a date at the time of their attack. As I stated, Christine had not told her parents about her sexuality or about her girlfriend, and I don't know if Molly had either. It appears Molly came from a religious household, and that can sometimes make children fearful about coming out to their families. Of course, I don't know, so I don't want to speculate, but it is a possibility, especially since Christine hadn't come out either. The two women were supposed to go to a movie that night, but had missed it, Instead, Molly wanted to bring Christine to a nearby park to show her a spot that she had been baptized. Although a popular park, a favorite for bird watchers especially, it was dark out at this time, and Christine got a bad feeling about being there, but ignored her instincts and stayed, stating, quote, I remember everything that happened that night. I had this horrible feeling in my stomach, end quote. The women were in Violet Andrews Park, which is directly across the bay from Corpus Christi in southern Texas, which is the 8th most populated city in the state and has a population of 317,863 as of 2020. If you've ever seen the movie or know about the late singer Selena, this city plays a large part in her life. Portland is significantly smaller, with just 20,383 people as of 2020. The park itself sits right on the edge of the bay, making it a scenic spot popular with locals. The two women were leaning on the overlook when a man appeared beside Molly, holding a gun. The women were scared and followed the man's directions as he led them down a steep slope to the beach below, which had long grass. Christine asked him if he was taking them somewhere, and he replied, no, and that it would be quick. According to the Dateline episode, which aired in 2020, Christine stated that he then raped her before asking her to duct tape both their eyes and mouths. Other reports state the duct tape came first and that both women were raped. But as Christine gave her version of events, I'm obviously going to go with her account. It does make sense that he would duct tape them first, but he was also planning to kill them, so maybe the duct tape was so that they couldn't see each other or talk to one another. The last thing Christine remembers them saying to each other was, are you okay? As they had fallen going down the slope, and they both asked each other if they were okay. Christine then says, after the tape was on, she heard a gunshot, and then she too was shot and everything went black. At some point, she woke up and quickly realized something was wrong. Her left side had lost feeling, and she wasn't able to get up. Christine had miraculously survived being shot in the back of the head, which was what had happened to Molly as well. Sadly, Molly was not so lucky and had succumbed to her injuries. For nine hours, Christine laid in the long beach grass praying someone would find her and going in and out of consciousness. Her prayers would be answered the next morning when two bird watchers came to the overlook while out on a nature walk. It was eerily quiet and it gave them both pause, saying they'd never heard it so quiet, no birds were around at all. And that's when they saw the two bodies lying in the grass, first thinking it was just debris, but then realizing, and immediately called 911, saying that they thought there was two dead bodies, because they weren't sure, and neither body appeared to be moving, and there was a lot of blood. The first responder checked both bodies and was stunned when Christine began to move. She was rushed to hospital, but it was unclear if she would make it. Christine's ID had been found at the scene and when her mother called police later that morning to report her daughter missing, they informed her that she was in hospital. Unfortunately, they didn't know exactly who was alive, as both girls were unrecognizable from their injuries. Christine's older sister identified her, and that's when Molly's family learned the heartbreaking news. The police now shifted their focus To who could have committed such a heinous act and why? I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. Femicide is nearly at 15,000 downloads and I cannot thank you enough for your support. And I know I've said it before, but liking, sharing, commenting, it honestly means so much to a small podcast like mine. It helps spread awareness and bring femicide into the algorithm. The concept behind femicide is very close to my heart, and I hope through these stories we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. To help support me and my efforts, I have started a Patreon account. If you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a membership-based platform designed to allow fans to support and connect with their favorite creators. For just $5 per month, you get access to one additional episode every single month. We now have four episodes there on Patreon, so please go check it out. I'd really appreciate the support. You can sign up today online at patreon.com or via the Patreon app, and I'll leave a link in the show notes of this episode. As always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships each month to various charities that help support women. The charity I'll be donating to for the month of January 2023 is the Toronto Rape Crisis Center slash Multicultural Women Against Rape, or TRCC slash MWAR. Quote, a grassroots, women, and non-binary people-run collective. We work towards a violence-free world by providing anti-oppressive feminist peer support to survivors of gender-based or sexualized violence. We engage in public education, activism, and provide direct individual and group support to survivors and their supporters, End quote. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families, because word of mouth is the best review of all. Initially, it was suspected that Molly and Christine were victims of a targeted hate crime, as it became known that the two were in fact in a relationship. Vigils were held for the two women across the country as a result, and the LGBTQ community rallied around them. Items, including cigarette butts and a monster energy drink can, were found around the overlook and they were quickly sent off for priority DNA testing. It's unclear if Molly or Christine were given a rape kit, but a hair was found on Christine and later used for testing. But I'll get into that in a little bit. An initial suspect was soon questioned with DNA linking Dylan Spellman to the cigarette butts and the Monster Energy drink can. But Dylan maintained his innocence. He had been arrested for armed robbery and referred to his accomplices as number one and two, which is a detail Christine remembered from her attack as she and Molly were both referred to as girl one and girl two. Once Christine had begun to recover and had come out of the coma, she began to help investigators in the case. She created a sketch of the attacker Gave details such as him being around 5'8 to 5'9 and that he had been wearing an Under Armour glove, black with a white logo. She also remembered him smelling of smoke from cigarettes. But, unfortunately, she could not positively ID him in a photo lineup. There are many reasons for that. It was dark, she was scared, she had a traumatic brain injury... And the photos are designed to look very similar to ensure a positive ID is made accurately. Dylan, however, had some inconsistencies with Christine's recollection, primarily because Dylan is six foot, eight inches tall, a fact that would have stood out to Christine a great deal. That is a large man and unmistakable because of that fact, and no concrete evidence linking him to the crime, just to the overlook area itself, Dylan was not charged. Investigators were at a standstill with no real new evidence, and the case was unable to move forward. That was until a letter changed everything. Larry Chapa, Christine's father, received a letter two years after the crime in which details of the crime were discussed, details that had not been released to the public. It was written by someone claiming to be a hitman hired to kill Christine as she was the last remaining witness, and that instead, the hitman reached out to Larry to take the information to authorities. A name was even provided of Chris Melcher, who was a resident of Layton, Utah at the time, which, if you aren't from the U.S., is a distance of roughly 1,500 miles or 2,400 kilometers. Chris Melcher was not in Texas at the time and was actually in military training, which gave him an airtight alibi for the night of the crime. However, he was then able to point investigators to his old roommate, david strickland the two had a falling out due to david stealing guns from chris when they lived together and therefore chris having david arrested as a result it's believed the letter was written to try and frame chris in retaliation however this now led investigators to david and as it turned out He was already known to the investigation because he had been questioned after coming forward as a good Samaritan about a white van around his parents' home the night of the attack, which just so happened to be near the crime scene. He had moved to Utah shortly after the attack, which if you know anything about killers, they do like to insert themselves into the case in some way. And leaving a city shortly after a crime is also a red flag. To see if they were on to the right man, the investigator on the case reached out to Utah police to get David's case file. In it were pictures of his belongings at the time of his arrest, and it clearly showed under-armor gloves, just like Christine described, and a forty-five caliber gun which was the same type used on the women. Luckily, the evidence was still in police custody, and the investigator had the gun tested, and ballistics showed it was a match. Finally, the weapon used had been identified. David Strickland was immediately arrested in the murder of Molly Olgan and the rape and attempted murder of Christine Chappa. In the evidence found by Leighton, Utah, police were other damning evidence, including a backpack with condoms, flex handcuffs, bolt cutters, a knife, and a suppressor for a gun. Clearly, David was up to no good and was planning something. The gun theft likely was him preparing to commit another crime, like the one to Christine and Molly. Thankfully, Chris had him arrested before he could harm anyone else. In addition to the gun, the glove, and that his height and image matched Christine's description, GPS helped identify that David's phone was near the Chapa residence when the letter was delivered by hand, proving that he was the one that delivered it. On his computer was also records of the letter, because even though he deleted it, he'd used grammar and spell check, and that saves the files to your computer. Another very lucky break in the case that cemented the jury's outlook of David's guilt. On September 28, 2016, David Strickland was found guilty of capital murder and aggravated assault and was sentenced to life in prison. A couple side notes, his wife, Lauren Strickland, was also arrested initially and charged with tampering of evidence, but that was dismissed. She had taken the photo that was in the letter of Chris Melcher, and that's how Chris knew David was likely involved with the letter. Which means Lauren was married to him, or at least dating David, in Utah, and that she was with him either during the time of the attack or shortly after. That part is unclear, so I'm not sure if she knew and helped to cover it up or maybe just didn't want to believe it. I mean, how awful, though, if she wasn't involved, but suddenly found out her husband raped a woman and murdered another woman. I can't imagine that sort of pain. It's also noted that the husband of a defense witness in the case, a local gun store owner, was also murdered in a targeted attack shortly before trial but it's unclear if it's related to this case or if he was targeted for other reasons in 2018 new DNA evidence linked the hair found on Christine that I mentioned previously to Dylan Spellman the original suspect in the case David used this as an attempt to overturn his conviction but that appeal was denied in 2020 there is too much concrete evidence linking David Strickland to these crimes. Anything to do with Dylan is purely circumstantial, even the hair. It could have flown over to the bodies from him being on the Outlook. He could have found the bodies too originally, but then panicked because he was already committing other crimes and didn't want to be involved in this case and was probably worried, worried he would be wrongly convicted. Witnesses did see him at the park before and after the crime, according to the believed timeline of events. But again, that doesn't mean he committed the crime. He was likely just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's quite interesting to think that if he was a shorter man, he might have been more seriously considered a suspect. Or if the investigators had been like others we hear about, and try so hard to fit a suspect into the murder that they make evidence fit even when it doesn't. It's also crazy to think that if David wasn't so hell-bent on making Chris pay for having him arrested, he likely would still be free. That letter opened up the floodgates of this case and gave police a new lead that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Thank goodness for his stupidity and his cockiness. Dylan Spellman did go to prison for the robbery charges, but he was never charged in relation to Molly or Christine. It is now believed that Christine and Molly were just a crime of opportunity and that they had happened to cross paths with David Strickland, who was out that night looking for a victim. Molly had her whole life ahead of her, which was rich with promise and love and happiness. Christine while still alive, was faced with an uphill battle. She not only lost her girlfriend, she lost a piece of her life that night too and is forced to deal with the physical and emotional pain as a result. Quote, I wasn't able to speak. I was using sign language, but nobody was understanding me, so they had a notepad. I was writing everything down for them. And my sister says I told her I was sexually assaulted. After the shooting, it affected the whole side of my left side. That includes my face. Yes, I am up and walking. I can walk around. I still struggle getting around places. I have field cuts in both my eyes. I am missing peripherals, so I am not able to drive myself around. I am hard of hearing now, so I will never be independent again. End quote. But Christine is strong, she is a fighter, and she will continue to share her story and help others overcome similar experiences. And she will hold Molly with her in her heart wherever this life takes her. Thank you for listening to the story of Molly Olgen and Christine Chapa. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.